Welcome to the Life Success and Legacy Podcast. We're super excited. We are taking on a worthwhile endeavor at Life Success and Legacy. Our intention is to honor Nelson Nash, the man, as well as the infinite banking concept. We're going to create a series of resources, including podcasts and text, as a resource for others who want to truly understand with depth and clarity what Nelson shared in his book, Becoming Your Own Banker, as well as the many seminars and think tanks that we were fortunate to have attended during his life. So who is this intended audience? Well, we will use Nelson Nash's own words. It is written for the layman not for financial advisors, but all life agents should be thoroughly knowledgeable of its content and practice. So whether you are an individual, part of a family, a business owner, or a life insurance agent, this is for you. So sit back, relax, and we will walk you through becoming your own banker step-by-step so you can reference the parts you want to revisit at your own pace. And we might have a little fun along the way. Hey, everybody, we want to welcome you back to our next uh, edition of the Life Success Legacy podcast. My name is Chris Bay, and we're super excited that you uh, have joined us. Mike Everett is joining me in the Hollywood Squares here of our uh, Zoom meeting. How are you, Mr. Everett? I am doing fabulous. We're used to doing these in the morning. We're doing it in the afternoon today. Yeah, if if our listeners are lucky, they might capture a, a yawn or two from you. Oh, buddy, I tell you what, when when you're rolling out of bed between 5.30 and 6 o'clock in the morning, and of course, you know I had shoulder surgery give, two give weeks a, Give ago. our listeners an update on your shoulder. All right, all right. Two and a half weeks ago, had shoulder surgery, and I'm going to tell you what, that's a big that's deal right good. there. That's a big deal. In fact, uh, today when I showered, I was able to get above my ear on the left side. <laughs> so uh, it's kind of a thing right now. So I'm I'm pretty excited. I'm supposed to be wearing a uh, a brace, which I am not. I am a rule breaker, so uh, uh, I'm already doing stuff that I'm supposed to be starting in a week and a half. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds just about right. <laughs> well, anybody who knows me and listening to this totally understood what I just said. Oh yeah, and they're not surprised. <laughs> no, at all. I'm. At all. I blame all this on my mom, so we're okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, for our listeners, um, obviously those who've been joining us all the way through, we have been working our way through the uh, Nelson Nash book, Becoming Your Own Banker, the fifth edition. And again, our intention of doing this is um, so that we can, one, educate people, but also capture uh, some of the stories and the perspective that Nelson had since Nelson's no longer with us here on this earth, um, that Mike Everett got to hear Nelson speak on a lot of these things. And oftentimes we don't get into the back of the book with clients as often. Sometimes we do for specific reasons. And one of those areas that we don't typically get into is this one, which we're on today. And we're on page 75. And the title of this section is called A Different Look at the Monetary Value of a College Degree. Mm. This is very... um, very real and practical for me having a daughter one daughter who um within the last year graduated from college and another daughter who's in college right now and uh, so i have a very real uh, look at what is the monetary cost of a college education and nelson in this section he's really looking at the 
financial elements of a college education. Mm -hmm. We all know that there's a lot of other factors that go into a college education, but he's really looking and breaking down, what if you didn't spend all that money on tuition and instead use that money in a different way, right? That's really mm -hmm. the, the essence of it. So I would say, as I go back and review this chapter, there's a couple pieces that jump out to me, Mike. Two, right off the bat, Nelson says he's looking at the financial or the monetary cost of this. Let's be very clear about that. And he follows up by saying, please remember, I am not against higher education. Mm -hmm. He says that all the time. He's not against higher education. So if you walk away from anything we say from this is don't walk away saying Nelson hated college education. Okay. He did not. I that can not I can true. tell you that firsthand. He really believed that people needed to spend a lifetime learning, not necessarily. Yeah, not necessarily just the four or five years that you're going to be in college, because I don't know about you, Chris Bay, but I've done more learning in the last 20 years of my life than I ever did in the previous years of my life, even including college. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and I, I think for our listeners who are obviously interested in finances and infinite banking and such, um, Nelson's reading lists in the back, if you are mm. a lifetime learner, that is where to go. Just start clipping those off one at a time and reading through all those books. They're, they're pretty amazing. Um, in fact, he references a, a book in this chapter, um, called the fall of the ivory tower he says if you've yeah. not done so i urgently recommend that you read this book um, that would be a good one to read here are the bullet points that i pull from this chapter and then we're going to dig into it um, number one he's looking at the financial benefits number two which is a theme for nelson is <laughs> government involvement yeah. and the fact that after the war the idea that everybody needed to have a college education and what has happened to the cost of higher education, it has gone up. So he, he associates that higher cost of, of education with government involvement. And then one that I really um, am drawn to is this idea of job certification versus mm -hmm. education, that lifetime learning kind of a thing. And, you know, as a former teacher and educator, I had to have a certification to be able to teach in public school and to be able to be a principal in public school. I had to have those certifications. Was there learning involved? There was. But I had to have that certification. I think more and more that's what people are going to college for is for that certification, not for just the learning aspect of it. Okay. So let's get back to page 75, the very beginning here, and give us a picture, Mike, of uh, Nelson talks a little bit about um, being a life insurance um, agent and kind of their approach back then uh, of how to sell life insurance. Well, you know, I'm going to go back to when I first got into the insurance business. Um, <laughs> gosh, I don't know how to, aggressive to get about how I got taught to sell insurance. And it didn't matter whether it was property casualty insurance or even life insurance. It was all about need selling. Mm -hmm. um, so if you looked at if you looked at somebody's life and we're talking about life insurance here, we're trying to figure out 
you know, what, what is their income going to be over the next 20, 30, 40 years of their life? And what kind of machine, so to speak, would it take to replace that? The machine just happens to be the life insurance. Mm -hmm. So we would think about all of these things. We would think about how much death benefit it would take in order to replace that life insurance. And boom, that's how it was done. It was all based on needs equals death benefit, so to speak. And, um, and in some cases, I think that needs approach was really fear based. Yes, you're, it was. You're creating fear in people. And yeah. If you don't do this. And if this happens, you're sunk. I hated those years, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, being in the insurance business now onto my 32nd or 33rd year in the insurance business, our approach is completely different mm -hmm. than that. But yet I say all that to say this, we are life insurance agents and have a specific responsibility for the families that we serve. Yeah. And if we are not taking that seriously, then infinite banking, which we teach, won't end up being a very good piece of that puzzle. Yeah. And yeah. so making those those all fit together somehow in some little neat box is really important. Mm -hmm. So, so the approach of, of most people over the years with college education has been, if you don't go to college, you're not going to earn as much as a college graduate would earn. Okay? Oh, man. So, so that is the contrasting. And that's how Nelson was taught to teach people. And one of the things was using a life insurance policy to be able to fund tuition, college education, to pay exactly. for loans and all those things. Um, now, Nelson... Um, he says, uh, I have the distinct feeling that the college degree is extremely overrated in its value. Okay. Nelson, I have this, uh, I have this punches. highlighted. Yeah, I have this highlighted. So when I, when I read that just recently, I thought, you know, when I was going to Fort Hayes state back in 1974, mm -hmm. um, my, my my first semester at Fort Hayes State was $189.10 for a full schedule. I could get 12 hours or I could get 16 hours. It, it, it didn't matter. It was that's what the cost was. And I think about what these kids are spending now. Oh, yeah. It's not $189.10 per semester. No. And Nelson even uses the example, I think, of $20,000 a year. Right. And, and, you know, depending on the school you attend and, and all those kinds of things, factoring in grants, student loans, all those kinds of things, uh, he's pretty on the money. Yes. It, yeah. That. And that's, a, that, that, now that's just tuition. Yeah. That's not including living expenses. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, so. it, is a, it is a high dollar thing for sure. Okay, so Nelson um, takes quite a bit of this chapter actually highlighting um, an issue, an article from the Auburn Uni University, Dr. Herbert Rothfield, 
And I'll summarize this from how I gather, and you feel free to add into it. There we go. He essentially is saying that people are going into college not for the learning opportunity in that start to their lifelong learning process as an adult, but they're, they're going to, um, to college for the certification that they need. That's it. Whether that's a business certification, education certification, science, med, whatever it is, that's what it is. And he even goes into like the faculty, um, kind of the idea that uh, these folks say in a business school, um, these are mm -hmm. people who are teaching business. And the reason they're teaching it is because they weren't or couldn't be uh, successful business people. Business there's entrepreneurs, old, that's exactly old, right. Old saying in, in education <laughs> about education is those who do, do, those who can't teach. Now, I obviously take offense to that. I think I am an example of someone who has been a teacher, a principal, and also a, a successful business owner. And I think a lot of those skills can, um, can, can transfer between. But his point is a lot of folks, there is that idea that if you weren't an effective business person or entrepreneur, then you're going to teach about it. Well, and I, I will, uh, I, I'm going to go back to my, my first uh, insurance job. They were really more interested, obviously, for me to go out and sell, but they were interested in me getting some initials, some certification. Mm-hmm after my name like that would add credibility to what we're doing so this ultra amount of certification who does that benefit really right it doesn't benefit my clients at all it only benefits the system as a whole and i think that that's that's kind of what he's talking about in these certifications it's really benefiting the colleges and the universities for those who want to do it to further their education yeah and you know and, and not that that's bad because at one point in time you're going to have to get out into the real world if you don't become a teacher or a administrator and figure out oh my goodness is all of these certifications going to benefit me financially so i can make a living so um okay so I'm, I'm moving on down through this because i think for our listeners um what they want to get to is nelson's comparison of actually if you were to take uh, dollars that could have yes. gone to college education and applied them in a different way um so i'm going to roll over here to um page 76 he does take a little bit here in the first column um he references the fall of the ivory tower that book which would be good and then he gets into the, uh, the, the whole idea of everybody needs a college education and how that happened with the GI Bill after World mm. War II. And at that point, that is where education became uh, much more expensive over time. Um, mm. So he touches on that. Then he starts transitioning into um, his ideas about if you were to take those dollars, Mike, and instead of putting them towards college tuition, you put them towards an IBC policy. So let's pick up there um, in, in how Nelson starts to compare those. Well, so um, really 
this whole chapter is taking the dollars, as we talked about, the dollars that you might have spent on tuition, and and they're making the analogy or the other option being a whole life insurance policy. So you're taking the $20,000 a year you would have spent on tuition. And now what we're going to do is we're going to roll it over into an IBC style policy. And instead of going to school, we're going to take those same dollars and we're going to put them in a life insurance policy. So um, this is really, and, and I think if Nelson were here, this is called the value of learning an alternative. Yeah. So at the top of uh, page 76 in the second column, he assumes that the usual cost of the college degree is $20,000 per year for four years. Correct. So that's kind of his baseline. That's right. Then what he does is he takes that $20,000 and he breaks it up into premiums. Do you want to describe how he does that, Mike? Well, if you remember when we did the equipment financing and we, we did the twins, we always had a base premium and we always had a paid up addition rider. Mm -hmm. In this particular case, he took the 20,000 and he put 6,500 into the base life paid up at 65 and he put 13,500 into the paid up additions rider. Mm -hmm. Now, keep in mind, he's doing this on an 18 year old male. Right. In this particular example, you got out of high school, 18 years old is usually the freshman in college age. So this premium was used to pay annual annual premiums for four years. Mm -hmm. So 20, 20, 20 and 20. And then what he did was he did a, a, a premium offset. Yeah. And really, that's a matter of taking how the premium is going to be allocated or using some of the internal workings of the policy to pay future premiums. Mm -hmm. This is not rocket science, what we're doing, but- He does this several times in the book where he actually takes, say, a dividend. That's and right. He, and he applies that dividend to the, to the base premium, right? And that's because a lot of people see premiums as bills rather than as that's deposits. Right. That's right. Most of our clients, in fact, I can't think of any of our clients that would use dividends to pay premiums. No, no, no. Well, we don't teach that, but yet right. because people's thinking is so bent that direction, he does this so people can see that they don't have to have any further money mm -hmm. out of yeah. their pocket. It's more of an emotional thing than it is a practical thing for IBC. Now, he, he um, describes what's going on in an illustration. It's a, a couple page pages over. He's doing it in his paragraphs here. Mike, do you want to talk through the paragraphs or do you want to turn to the illustration? I'd go to those illustrations. They're yeah, way easier to understand. <laughs> so if you go to page 78, this is John Q. Student. This is our 18-year-old uh, uh, young man. And what we're going to do is for the first four years, you will notice that the $20,000, and I'm going to reference over to page 79 because there is a one through six option over there. And... The first one shows you that the $20,000 represents the premiums going into the life insurance instead of the cost of the degree. He's not going to be spending his money to get a degree. Mm -hmm. So you'll notice that it's blacked out. It's 20,000 four times for premiums. It's really, really pretty simple. Yep. Um, so we've got $80,000 put into the policy for premiums. And if you'll go over to the net cash value, 
He has 77,205. Now I got to, I have to reiterate this and we've done this a number of times on our podcast. The book was written in 1999 and published in 2000. When dividends, rates of return, uh, were all completely different than they are now. If you remember, um, interest rates were pretty high in 99 and 2000 interest People rates are in higher interest on their car loans their mortgages all those things but the other side of that and that's what people sometimes forget is when those rates are higher so are your earnings there we go they, they so, and that's what nelson says is those are going to go up and down the important part is controlling the banking function that's right so in this particular example there's 77,205 so if you looked at this from a uh I guess from, and this is the wrong word, but in, from an investment standpoint, if you put 20,000 in and you have access to 77,205, that's not a bad investment, so to speak, but this is life insurance. So if you look over in the far right-hand column, they've got $1.136 million in death benefits. So at age 21, if this kid dies, passes on $1.1 million to the next mm -hmm. generation. Yep. That's a really good rate of return by the way in fact he says this in a number of places in the book where the best thing that you could do is you could die in the first three to four years and you you would get a windfall you know your family would get a windfall but in this that, particular case sense of humor right there yeah you'd really have to hear him to say this stuff because some people do get offended um <laughs> so if you look at this then um in year five and we're just going to go down there. You see that the net premium is $14,950. Mm -hmm. But the way they come to that, it he really took out dollars to go buy a car for $21,450. And instead of paying Ford Motor Credit or GMAC, he's going to make payments back to his system in the amount of $6,500. But yet there's also some additional costs in there of using the dividend to offset some of the costs. So it's a negative $14,950 because of all of the mathematics that are going into that equation that we just explained. Yeah. Yep. But the real money that he's putting back towards this thing is $6,500 for the cost of using the car that he's just gone out and purchased. So did he go out and pay cash for the car? He did. Yes. So he's got to be responsible for the use of that car. It'd be almost like leasing it or almost using it himself. He's just replenishing the money for the use of that car. So the real cost that he has is $6,500. Well, let's see here. I, I've got to do this just for fun. We're going to go back over to page 76 in the first <laughs> real paragraph. And what was the cost of the base life paid up at 65? 6,500. 6,500. So all he did was he utilized that payment to the policy that he owns to use that car, but it just happened to be the cost of the life insurance. Seems a little simple. Yeah. It, but then, that's a perfect example of how to utilize an IBC policy to finance your purchases. 
And right. by the way, that number three, it mm -hmm. says right there, $6,500 represents a premium payment instead of a car payment to a bank. I'm going to tell you, Nelson keeps things simple. Mm -hmm. well, he jumps ahead quite a bit up to age 70 now. Right. So all I'm going to do is I'm going to make people understand every four years we're utilizing the policy to make a purchase of a vehicle. Mm -hmm. But the payment that he makes back to his system or his policy is only $6,500. Doing the same thing that the twins did. It's identical. Yeah. The numbers have just gotten a little bigger. That's mm -hmm. all it is. So we're going to run down to age 70. And you'll notice that the cumulative net premium that he has put in here is $102,000. 102,100. Mm -hmm. So you'll notice in this thing that as he's doing this, the death benefit, it goes down, then it goes back up. It goes down, it goes back up because they're utilizing some of the death benefit portion along with the dividends to actually offset these costs. It's, it's really kind of ingenious. By the way, Nelson does about seven to eight calculations on every single line yeah. in order for us to see these numbers. So for the engineers and the CPAs and the accountants that are looking at this, have at it. They're, they're trying to recreate it in their spreadsheets and it's not all adding up for them. Yeah. You can't, you can't do it because they didn't have software back when Nelson created this book to be able to justify and look at where these things all came from. But the cool thing about it is this 18 year old turned age 70. And what does he need at age 70? He needs an income. Mm -hmm. So because of the way that they, that Nelson designed this policy, He's able to start taking, and this is number five in our in in a, the bottom of right uh, on the right hand bottom of the page seventy nine. He starts taking one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year in annual income from dividends at the time of retirement. So out of that, you'll notice that the annual dividend next to that is only a hundred and hundred and thirty one thousand dollars in the dividend. So where is he getting the additional monies? to take out the income yeah, if you'll you just take it dragging out the addition that they call this a reduced paid up policy mm -hmm. and he's just taking some of the death benefit along with the dividend and he's taking an annual income mm -hmm. of one hundred and fifty thousand dollars but how much did he put in this thing hundred and two thousand one hundred was the total annual premium I well think there's a couple points right there at that point uh, five at age 70 that Nelson talks about one he's showing him taking passive income number one he uses right. the term passive income because he's taking the word retirement oh, that's right. out of his vocabulary right and number two he's doing it at age 70 he's saying that those earlier retirement ages say 65 he's like it will not work no nope. okay and so he encourages people to work longer and and then start taking not retirement, but passive income. Okay. So I mean he he does that, he just says it just like that. It's just pretty cool. How old are you so, like? 66 and still working. 
<laughs> and well, and you know, Nelson said this, why in the world would you take a 65 year old guy? And you and I've talked about this dozens and dozens of times yeah. that they've got all of this experience. They've got all of this wisdom in the work that they do. And why would you drag this guy out of the workforce when you've got 28 to 35 to 40 year old guys that need the information that's going on in this guy's mm -hmm. head and heart. And uh, I know it doesn't I, mean they can't slow down or, you know, those kinds of things exactly or, or, or narrow their focus of what their work looks like where it's really enjoyable, but, but they should be in that phase where they are sages and they're passing on that information to those who are in that kind of King phase. So those younger people who are, kings of their of their um of their environment whether they're right. a dad raising a family they're a business owner they're in a leadership position at work they're in those king positions but they need sages to speak into them at that point i i understand that right now yeah <laughs> well so he literally starts taking out hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year in income passive income we'll mm -hmm. say that again mm -hmm. and you'll notice at number six that he's taken out 2.297 thousand dollars 2.2 almost 2.3 million dollars in income and so at that particular point in time he literally has met the total amount of dollars that he's put into this thing so the best way and you know he explains that let's just Let's just pretend that the insured dies. This was our 18 year old guy that used this policy right. throughout his lifetime. And he still is going to pass on $3.8 million to the next generation. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's almost unbelievable that something like this could work. Now, keep in mind the whole chapter was based on a college degree versus the monetary value of a dividend paying whole life insurance policy. That's right. Is there any way possible that a person could think that getting their certification, getting their college degree, monetarily, I'm just saying only, yeah. could make the kind of money and make the kind of potential retirement and be able to pass on a legacy of this kind of magnitude with that kind of thing. I will let you speak to that because of where you came from. Well, I just, you know, I, I did undergraduate, I did a master's, um, you know, I didn't go into education to make a bunch of money, but right. um, so that wasn't my motivation, but we struggled financially. And, and this was before I knew about IBC and we were doing the whole, um, uh, you know, Dave Ramsey approach and paying cash, saving up and paying cash for things. And once we implemented IBC, um, things started to change for us, turning the wind curtain off. Mm -hmm. And then to be honest, in, in teaching this concept to people, um, that, is, that has changed our, our income stream as well. And so um, it's been beneficial. I mean, I'm, I'm similar to Nelson in that once you start teaching this concept to other people, I kind of look at it as there's an old, oh, um, uh, principle, I guess, um, that your income is determined on how much value you offer to other people. And I feel like my, yeah, 
my our my personal income has increased according to how many people and how well we are able to serve them. It's a hundred percent about so, serving. Um, and and the beautiful thing is my experience as an educator and 20 plus years of educating and leadership and, and running a school has contributed to who I am as an IBC coach. So I, I don't regret any of that no, right. at all. That was incredibly formative for me as to who I am as an IBC coach and as a leader and a business owner now. But, but definitely uh, making that shift, our, our world has uh, our financial world has improved. Well, I'll give you some props because, you know, because of all of the, all of the places that you've been and all of the education and, and the things that you've done, you have brought a piece into life success and legacy that I didn't have. So I, I tell people all the time, this, this thing, this little thing that we've got going on is like the perfect marriage. It is. Yeah. <laughs> and it, and it's people, just like a marriage. We get ticked off at each other too, just like husband and <laughs> husbands and wives do. <laughs> All right. So I wanna I wanna say one more thing. If you if this guy lives to age 92, by the way, he still took out another hundred and fifty thousand dollars, but he passed on four point one million dollars. So from eighty-five to ninety-two, seven years, if he makes it to ninety-two, he passes on another yee. A bunch of money. Yeah. $1.3 million to the next generation. So you can see as time goes on, the system becomes much, much more efficient. Now, Nelson uses a second example, and I don't know that we need to go through the, the illustration and everything because very similar to what we did with the 18-year-old yeah. boy, but he uses a, a female student, Susie Q., who um, goes to undergrad and then goes on to medical school. And I do think one of the important things is the bullets at the bottom of the first column in page 77. Mike, you wanna talk us through those bullets? Um, let me jump over there real quick. Yep. Okay. You there? Yeah, these are, these are pretty, pretty important. Um, so just by utilizing the system, for exactly what we explained with John Q student. Now we've got Susie Q student. John Q, we were putting 20,000 in, now we're putting 35,000 in, but we're putting it in for a couple of three more years. But when you turn around and you think about this, because most of the people that she's talking about, if she's hanging around thinking about going to get a doctor's degree, so to speak, what would she have spent if she would have put the 35,000 that she was going to put in for her medical school? Mm -hmm. So this particular example, if she utilized the system the same that, way that John did, it would eliminate the need for malpractice insurance that a medical professional has to have. It would eliminate the need to establish a retirement plan of any kind. So a 403B or a 401k or the like. It eliminates the, the concern for whether or not social security will be here or whether or not they would need to use it at all. I mean, if you end up having one or two or $3 million setting inside a whole life insurance policy that you own and the amount that you are 
utilizing as income annually would supersede the amount that you would get for Social Security, you probably don't need it. Yeah. And then this last one is just unbelievable. So, and I'm really just going to read it because I think it's so important. If she determined to be around the medical community, all she has to do at the end of the eighth year is call the life insurance company and borrow enough money. She has access to $339,000, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And buy eight luxury cars. Take them down to the medical school and lease them to the professors because all of them drive those sorts of cars. That's Nelson's humor right there. Oh, I'm telling you. And and most of them are leased from some source. So most of these people have been taught by their CPAs, their accountants to lease these cars because they're going to get this deduction. Well, they can she can do it too. 8 months later, she can add another car to the fleet just from the lease income from those first 8 cars. 7 months later, she can get another six months later she can get another in a short while she can enjoy a very good income from just her leasing business and that's in addition to the figures that you see right here in the illustration so keep in mind in both john q and susie q this was them utilizing it just for cars in the first few years of the policy just imagine if you decided to use this for additional business purposes mm -hmm. or for your home purchase or for rental property or investments of any kind yeah it only gets better you know nelson talks about flow the importance of flow mm. you know uh, you use the examples of water flowing in a pond on a on a golf course, and if it's That's not, right. it becomes stagnant, and all those kinds of things. Yep. Milk becomes stagnant if it's not flowing. All those things. This last bullet that you just read is another reminder of how important that is that money must flow, which is what banking. It's all banking. And, and what this what this gal does is she actually applies the concept that banks use, and that is they take in deposits, they loan it out. They receive those payments plus interest. They loan it out again. And it just becomes this income snowball mm. that is getting bigger and bigger and faster and faster all along the way. Um, there's a lot of possibilities there. If, if any of the listeners are interested in, in how these bank, how our IBC policies can be used to create these income snowballs, we love having that conversation with people. Yeah, it's really cool. All right. Mike Everett, I think that about covers it on that chapter. I'm, I'm holding up my pieces of paper. Look at this, how my book is falling apart. Oh my. I got to go get this thing bound. Or else just start reading a new one. Yeah, I got another one sitting over here. I'm going to have to start. I reading. know. I like look, look, notes, look, at, look at this beat up thing. I'm telling you. It's... <laughs> okay. Well, um, for our listeners, um, thank you for joining us on this one. Mike, is there anything you want to say in wrapping up this chapter on the... No, no. And like we said in the early stages, these are just chapters that we really don't spend a lot of time with, on. And now that you kind of go back and you go through these things, I'm going, why don't we spend more time on these chapters? Yeah. The, number, the numbers are amazing. And then, you know, showing people how to utilize it in, in different scenarios is really what IBC is all about.
the uh, the last chapter, the last chapter of this section, which is the last section, I can't believe I'm saying that. I know is called "What If I Am Uninsurable," and we will be picking that up with our next uh, podcast. To our listeners, thank you for joining us again. We hope that this work that we've been doing—I don't even know how long we've been doing this—but uh, we hope that it's been beneficial to to our listeners. We have lots of other additional resources, books, um, and, and other things, learning opportunities through our webinars and our podcasts. We have a podcast coming up. Um, we're, we're, we're doing this today on the 3rd of February, and we have a new uh, boot camp, a virtual boot camp on the 12th, which I don't know if this will be released by then, but we really recommend people hit the webinar first. Um, yep. That is kind of a prerequisite to before they hit the boot camp with us. So check us out at lifesuccesslegacy.com. Thank you for listening in and, and join us again on our next podcast.